0: Second Samuel chapter 11, got a question. I wonder how many of you could, could guess this. How many steps, no use in Google or Siri or any of those devices, how many steps do you think it would take for you to walk 25 miles? So more than I want to take. I, yeah, that's good. Somebody give me, somebody give me a good guess. No, Brother Cat, you, you are in there. You can't say anything. 500,000? 500, 500,000 500, if you're a toddler, maybe. <laughs> what did you say? 40,000? 50,000 is the closest so far. 45. Nope, 50 closer than 45. Not true? 65. I don't care what your phone just told you. <laughs> what? sixty close nope 65. nope, oh, I love being the only right one in the room. feels so good i 'm not even going to tell you the answer it 's somewhere in between one and five hundred thousand no one one person I looked up said it 's around fifty six thousand two hundred and fifty steps, something like that um, if, if you wanted to walk. Let's just say I said, hey, for church tonight, we're all going to go outside and walk 25 miles. Um, This is hypothetical, of course, (laughs) because I wouldn't have a church if I said that. Um, If you were to start out tonight walking 25 miles, I guarantee you uh, that you wouldn't count every step. You would keep track of the miles that you've walked. One mile, two miles, three miles. You would not say, I'm on, I'm on step 42,772 right now. You wouldn't keep track of that. Why? Because we don't keep track of steps. We have to spend a lot of money to keep track of steps. Because we don't. We take t- so many steps in any given day that we just take steps for granted. Yet... I believe it's the steps that we take, not the leaps, not the jumps, not the miles we run. It's the steps we take that determine the direction and quality of our life. I believe that. In the the long run of your life, I don't care if you're a teenager, you're middle-aged, older, it doesn't matter. In the long run of your life, from this time to the time you die, the direction and quality of your life from this time to the time you die, is not determined so much on the huge decisions you make. It's determined on the small daily decisions. That lead to the bigger decisions in your life. King David, we know, we've been studying in 1 Samuel. We hit the 2 Samuel chapter 11 before long. Uh, but, but we've seen how King David has made some pretty good steps up to this point. Teenage boy, I mean, he took a step, you know, toward the giant when nobody else would. That's a great step. He, he took a step with his heart toward King Saul and ministered to him. That's a step of a servant's heart. Um, he took some good steps even when Saul was trying to murder him. He got to that cave in Getty and could have killed Saul. But he showed the step of self-control. And he was, he was based that on principle. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. What God has put in place, I'm not going to displace. And he made a good step there. He could have killed Nabal. He was on his way to kill Nabal for ripping him off. And he listened to a woman. That's a good step. (laughs) And it kept him from murdering a a crazy guy. So God took care of the crazy guy for him. Because that's what God does. And he's taken so many good steps up to this point. We get to 2 Samuel 11. He's taken so many good steps that he's now the king of Israel. Yet yet we're going to find in 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 that he begins to take bad steps. And we could, we could study all the bad steps he took that led to his demise in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. To wrap it up in a nutshell, he, he went outside and, and he saw a pretty lady named Bathsheba taking a bath on the roof. Couldn't get his eyes off of her. Uh, manipulated the situation where he could meet her. They, they had sex. She had a baby. He tried to cover it up. He murdered her husband. And then God sent Nathan to confront him. And Nathan confronted him until he finally confessed. And when he confessed, God said, I'm going to kill that baby that was born out of adultery. Out of an adulterous relationship. Like that's some serious stuff. This was the lowest point in David's life, I think, so far. I think this was darker than any cave he spent the night in. Was this moment where he just made an absolute mess of things. But we're not going to study every step of that. We're going to study one verse... And we're going to study the first step that he took. It was the first domino that had to fall that led to the second domino and the third domino and the fourth domino. And here's why that's important to me. Because nobody messes up their life, their marriage, their testimony, their ministry overnight. overnight. It happens over time. You hearing me? I I titled the message this today with, with the chapel students. The starting line of your own demise. Nobody wakes up and says, today, I'm going to ruin my marriage. Today, I'm going to mess up my testimony that I've worked hard to build. Today, I'm going to destroy my reputation. Today, I'm going to become a thief. Today, I'm going to cheat. Today, I'm going to lie. Today, I'm going to destroy my life. Nobody does that. We take one small step at a time. And 56,250 steps later, we meet our demise. Unless God gets our attention and we take a U-turn and start stepping in the right direction. So I guess maybe God divinely appointed me to preach this message to keep some of you from taking this first step. You know, this isn't a message for teenagers. David's a grown man here. It's a message for all of us in here. Maybe God... Have me divinely uh, divinely appointed for me to preach this message that we weren't planning on preaching tonight. Because some of you have already taken that first step and you're on two, three, four or five. And God wants to say right now in the midweek service, take a U-turn. It's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to repent. It's never too late to say, God, I'm guilty. I'm sorry. Cleanse me. Help me. Give me your grace and strength to start stepping in the right direction. So let's talk about this. Look at verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 11. No slides tonight, obviously, so just follow along with me. 2 Samuel 11 verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. The starting point of David's demise, you know where it all began? One word apathy. Apathy. Apathy, what is apathy? Apathy, I think, can be summed up this way it's a lack of interest, it's a lack of concern, and it's a lack of enthusiasm. Right? We've all been apathetic in different areas of our life, even areas in our life where we were once really passionate and we just lost interest, we lost concern. We lost passion, we lost enthusiasm, we lost energy. That is the definition of apathy. David became uninterested, he became unconcerned, and he lost all enthusiasm for leading his kingdom. He developed an attitude of apathy, and his downward spiral began. And that's where a lot of Christians' demise begins as well. Their spiritual testimony, their walk with God, their... Their marriage, we could go on and on and on. It usually starts with not necessarily an action, but an attitude of apathy. We lose interest and concern and enthusiasm for the kingdom of God. And that leads us to take step two in the wrong direction. And step two leads us to take step three in the wrong direction. Listen, we don't jump from step one to step ten. We take one step at a time to destruction. Four things I I want to share with you about David's apathy that I I hope will serve as a warning tonight. Number one, let's, let's talk about this. The area of David's apathy. Where was he apathetic? Now we can think about where he could have been apathetic. He could have been apathetic in a lot of things. as The king, I mean, he probably had this amazingly beautiful backyard. Maybe David was into planting or landscaping or whatever. And at one time, you, you might imagine David found relief and relaxation and going out and, and, and being amongst all the, all the beautiful landscape that, that, that he lived in and maybe even tending to the garden or something like he could have been grown apathetic, just lost interest in that. No big deal. Like no big deal at all. David could have had a hobby. I don't know what his hobby would have been. Maybe hunting animals with a sling. He's pretty good at that. And then he just lost concern. And you know what I say to that? Who cares? I tried deer hunting one time. And I was passionate. I got camo. I got boots. I bought my brother's old bow. But I, for some reason, it's a lot harder to get pulled back than you might think. So I, I, I got on the curls and was able to pull back the string and woke up at 4.30 in the morning to, to go hunt. I was passionate, enthusiastic, and interested, and it wasn't but one time, and I grew apathetic. Who cares, though, right? Who cares? Like, who cares that I don't like to be out in the cold, that I don't like to get up really early, that I don't like to sit quietly for hours upon a time for no reason because no animals ever come. And who cares that I don't want to buy hundreds of dollars of equipment for like three months of the year? Like, who cares? Right? You can be apathetic in all kinds of things and it doesn't really matter. But David was, was apathetic in something that really did matter. Because verse 1 said that after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle. David was a king. He was apathetic about his duty as the king. His apathy, watch here, was in the area of his personal responsibility. Where was David apathetic? In the area of his personal responsibility. He should have been leading his troops in battle, not sitting apathetically on his throne. And here's the truth. You can be apathetic about a lot of things in your life and it won't devastate your life. But if you have an attitude of apathy when it comes to your responsibility as a child of God, your duty to God and his kingdom... It will be devastating in the long run. Hear me. One of your responsibilities as a child of God is to seek God. Every day in Bible reading and in prayer. God waits for us there in this private worship chamber, so to speak. It's not God's responsibility To to go and wrestle you out of bed and say, child of God, sit right here so I can talk to you. It's our responsibility to draw nigh to him and then he draws nigh to us. When we get apathetic about our private worship, we have taken the first step in the wrong direction. You can get apathetic in your church attendance. Now I know, I know this is a Wednesday night crowd. You come to church because you want to. You come to church when a lot of people choose not to. I get it. But just keep staying faithful because there's going to be many times when you want to stay away from church or home from church when you should be in church. And, and you, you, you might not feel like stay, getting out of church for a little bit is that big of a deal. But listen, friend, that is where destruction begins. You're, 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 you're not you're not pursuing your personal duty. And I, I, we don't take attendance here. You know that there's not a sticker chart for adults. I came three times a week. I'm a good Christian. No, we don't do that. I think you should. But we don't do that. That's not the spirit of my preaching tonight. The spirit is simply this. Don't think that sitting out of church on a continual basis is somehow good for you. That's a personal responsibility of Christians. Corporate worship is, is literally an imperative in scripture. You have a responsibility to lead others to Christ. You have a responsibility, a duty. Uh, While you are on earth, right here, before we get to heaven and get our glorified bodies, you have a responsibility to cooperate with the Holy Spirit's ministry to sanctify your life. You don't get to sanctify your own life. The Holy Spirit does the sanctifying. For those that don't know what that means, that means he helps you become more and more like Jesus Christ. He helps you to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. He helps you to go to the right things and say, no, I'm not going to the wrong things. He helps you hang out with the right people and say, no, I'm not going to hang out with the wrong people. Right? Right. So, so, so the, the Holy Spirit does that, but we have to choose to cooperate. That's our responsibility. When the Holy Spirit tells us to do something, we say yes. When the spirit of God tells us to do something, we say yes. We don't argue. We don't put it off. We don't procrastinate. We don't say no. We don't say not now. We say yes, Lord. Yes. And and I'm just telling you, these are some basic responsibilities. As basic as it was for David during wartime, all the other kings are going to battle. He was expected to go to battle too. And the first step of his demise was when he was apathetic in the area of his personal responsibility. Number two, the reason for David's apathy. The area of David's apathy, where was he apathetic? In the area of his personal responsibility. The reason for David's apathy. Why was he apathetic? Look at verse 1 again. And it came to pass. Look at this next phrase. After the year was expired. After the year was expired. You study that. And and that speaking of the the season that they're in. The time of year. It was coming off the winter time. And the springtime was beginning. This means David... was was just coming off a long break. Kings didn't send their troops to battle during the winter. They didn't go to battle during the winter because it was too dangerous to fight in the winter. But now it was springtime. And in springtime, we go to battle. It's interesting that David's apathy came on the heels of a long extended break, a time in life when he was able to rest From his normal, everyday duties, I would say this. The reason for David's apathy was his own idleness. It was his own idleness. The the area of, of apathy was his own personal responsibilities. The reason for his apathy was his own personal idleness. And the same will be true for you and I if we're not careful. We will just... Find these, these pockets, these seasons, let's just be honest, these seasons of laziness in our lives. These, these seasons that, that, that somehow foster and, and breed this, this sense of idleness in our life. And I want you to know I am all about rest. Because God's all about rest. He modeled that in creation. You know God wasn't tired on the seventh day. He modeled rest. He put it into the the Old Testament law, a Sabbath day. And and, and, and then he, he even talked about finding your rest in Jesus in the New Testament. God's idea is not for us to just run ourselves ragged all the time. You know that, right? That is not something to pat yourself on the back for, that you have an unsustainable pace of life. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. But... Sometimes we rest too much. Sometimes we get to the point where we have too much time on our hands. Sometimes, let's just be honest, this is why Proverbs writes about it constantly, we become slothful. I know you go to work eight hours a day, some longer than that, I get that. You do that because if you don't do that, you can't turn your lights on when you go home. Hey, none of us are superheroes because we work eight hours a day. We kind of got to do that to feed our mouths, right? But what about your spiritual life? It's so easy to become lazy in, in, in the things that God expects and desires for us on a daily basis. And it's in these idle times. You, you know, I, I forgot. I didn't write it down in my notes and I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. But But I think... Somebody says an idle mind is the devil's playground. I I have found that so often the devil targets us when we're bored. Isn't that right? That that normally when when we are isolated, when we're alone, when we do nothing during the evening times but but just self-absorption, no serving others, no getting off of our lazy boy and and no feeding our mind with healthy substance we get in this season of idleness where it's go to work go home be a vegetable go to work go home be a vegetable go to church go home be a vegetable are you are you hearing me tonight That's an idle life. And I know that everybody's energy level is different and everybody's physical capability is different. And we do need to have seasons of rest and even daily rest. And I'm for that. And I I don't want to come across like I'm condescending if you need more rest. I I understand all of that. But I'm, I'm talking about just being idle in your spiritual life and idle in your mental life. It's just not healthy for you. When you let yourself get too bored, too static then that's that's honestly when the devil just goes to work on us. That's the reason David got apathetic. Because he he, he was in this this kind of season of idleness and laziness. Let's talk about number three, the evidence of David's apathy. The area of David's apathy was personal responsibility. The the, the reason for David's apathy was this state of idleness he found himself in. Third, the evidence of David's apathy. How do we know David is apathetic? Verse 1 again. I'm just trying to pull everything I can out of this verse. And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab. This is going to seem really simplistic, I know, and a little bit redundant, but but it needs to be said. How do we know David is apathetic? Well, he's absent. I'll say it like this. He wasn't where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to be doing. It's really that simple. How do you know if you become apathetic? If you're not where you're supposed to be. Amen. are doing what you're supposed to be doing. When you should have prayed and you didn't. Apath- apathy. When you should have been God's word but you weren't. Apathy. Should have gone to church but chose not to. Apathy. When you, th- 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 there, was, there was a get together with God's people and you didn't make it a priority. That could be a sign of apathy. When God says invite that person to church and you don't. And he says it again and you don't. That's apathy. I'll say it this way. The absence of duty is the evidence of apathy. When you're not where you're supposed to be and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you have taken the first step to your spiritual demise. And I want you to get this. It's only the first step. David, his kingdom was not not damaged. His his reputation was not wrecked. His, His purity was not destroyed because he chose to stay home this one day. You get this? This was just the start. Because he stayed home when he shouldn't have stayed home. Because he was absent from his duty. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Do what he was supposed to be doing. That is what was the first domino. you get it? This made the second decision easier. The second decision was looking at Bathsheba. The third decision was, well, he kept looking at Bathsheba. Because we all see things in passing that we shouldn't see. It's when we stay looking. His fourth bad decision was, well, he went to her house. And we could go on down the line. Every decision got easier with every step. Had he been doing what he was supposed to be doing, where he was supposed to be doing it, he wouldn't even have seen Bathsheba that day. Do you get this? The destruction of our lives, not overnight. It's over time. And it starts with this absence in the duties that God has called us to fulfill. So, what's the solution? This is number four the answer to apathy. The answer to apathy. Uh, to, to find the answer, if you're struggling with this, to find the answer, I want to, of course, go to the first verse again, but I, I kind of want to get creative with this for a second. So, so, look at it. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the times when kings go forth to battle. Now, watch this next phrase that David, and then it says, sent Joab. In other words, he decided not to go himself when he should have. But if we want to know the answer to apathy, then we just need to take out those two words sent Joab. And we need to put in kind of just a line to to represent a blank that we're supposed to fill in. And and we need to to put in the blank what David should have done. If David got it right, what would this verse have read? I, i tell you what it wouldn't have read. That at the time when kings go forth to battle, David brought in a motivational speaker to fire him up about battle. Or David went to the gym and got back in shape so he would be ready for the next opportunity. Or David read war books and listened to podcast interviews of past war generals to get himself hyped. No, it's real simple. Here's the answer. If David got it right, here's what it would have read. At the time when kings go forth to battle, that David went to battle. You were expecting something real deep. When it was time for kings to go to battle, if David got it right, it would have said this. David went to battle. He didn't need a motivational speaks. He, he didn't need a midweek service. He didn't need a self-help book. He didn't need therapy. He didn't need a workout plan. He didn't need a hype man. David simply needed to recognize that he was grown apathetic as a result of his idleness. He needed to get up and do his duty. Here's the answer to apathy. Action. The area of apathy is personal responsibility. The reason for apathy is idleness. The evidence of apathy is absence. The answer for apathy is action. I know some think, and I hear this regularly, Pastor, I don't feel like it right now. And people genuinely struggle with this that that aren't spiritually mature. They, they, They think, if I'm not feeling like being Christian, I'm not feeling like doing my duty in the kingdom of God, I'm not feeling like going to church, then isn't it hypocritical for me to go? Well, it would be hypocritical if Christianity was about feelings. But Christianity is about obedience. So no, it's not hypocritical to do the right thing when you don't feel like doing the right thing. It's right. The greatest athletes in the world don't always feel like working out. Sometimes they feel like sitting down, eating Cheetos, and doing nothing. But professional athletes keep working out, and denying themselves of junk food... Not because they feel like it every day, but because they're dedicated to what it takes to become a world-class athlete. Great Christians aren't great because they always feel like reading their Bible. Or they always feel like forgiving. Or they always feel like tithing. Or they always feel like coming to church. Or they always feel like volunteering for ministry. Or they always feel like fighting sin in their life. Great Christians are great because they learn to take action even when they don't feel like it. In fact, great Christians realize that when they stop feeling like it is when they need to do it the most. They obey when it's hard. To confirm that this is the answer to apathy, I want you to turn to the last book of the Bible and be done. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Jesus is speaking to a church in Ephesus and he's going to rebuke them. He's going to rebuke them because he's going to tell them that they've lost their first love. And we get the idea. They become apathetic. They're not interested. They're not enthusiastic. They're not concerned anymore about their relationship with Jesus. He says they've lost their first love. You don't love me like you used to is what he's saying. And then he gives them the answer for that. Look at chapter 2 verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Here's the answer. Number one. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Number two, repent and notice this. Number three, and do action. Do the first works. Somebody said the answer to apathy is remembering, repenting, and redoing. Isn't that good? You've got to think in your mind. You've got to recall in your mind. What are some of the things that I was actively pursuing and doing when I was closest to the Savior? When my relationship with God was the richest, the most satisfying, had the most depth, what was I doing? Right? We think the same thing whenever we get out of shape, we want to get back in shape. We think, what was I doing like back when I was 16? Or when I first got married? That's more realistic. Like, what was I doing when I actually wore like a size 30, 32 pants? I need to redo that. Right? I can't even get a leg in those anymore. I was talking to to Daniel back there. I was like, you know, he dresses really fashionable in these skinny pants and stuff. I was looking at him back there. It's like, man, I wish I could wear those, bro. I wish I could wear those. He's like, just embrace your body, pastor. Just embrace your body. And I'm like, I have, I have. I I get relaxed fit and I turn them into skinny jeans. That's how I do it. Oh you know, he's just trying to get me boost up my self confidence. I appreciate that. Appreciate that, dog. Well, we do that all the time in other areas of our life. We should do the same thing when we become athletic in our spiritual life. What was I doing when I just loved Jesus more than anything? When it was easy for me to go to church. When, when, when I didn't forget to read my Bible. When I was quick to forgive. Hey, when I wasn't even offended very easily. Like how I was so joyful. I was less anxious. What was I doing during those times to put me in such close proximity to the Savior and then do that again? Right? Me and Jenny often have these talks in our marriages when there has has come some distance between us. We, we, We still eat in the same house, the same table, sleep in the same bed, pay the same bills, go to the same church, all of that kind of stuff. But there's this like intangible distance between us sometimes. Sometimes busyness causes it. Sometimes neglect causes it. Sometimes distraction causes it. Whatever the case might be. And sometimes we just have to sit down and we have to say, what have we stopped doing? What are the things that we did on a regular basis when we were close and we didn't feel this distance between us. And then we just have to hit the reset button. We have to go on a date again. Right? And, and, and I, we got to text each other. More than just like, who's picking up the milk today? Right? And when, when Tyler's home, he's got to actually be present. Not just in body, but in spirit. There's some things I've got to restart redoing in my life if we're going to be close again. Insanity is doing the same thing, but expecting a different result. It's insane for you to think that that you'll get your spiritual life back to where it's supposed to be. But yet you refuse to do the things that you once did to get it there. I'm just saying that, that if you really want to know what the answer is to your apathy, it's very simple. It's just action. It's action. We've got to quit blaming everybody else for why we've lost passion in our Christian life, in our church life. It's our fault. We've simply stopped doing some things that we once did. The area of apathy, it's, it's those personal responsibilities. That, that's, if we're apathetic in the areas in which we are responsible for in the kingdom of God as a child of God, that is the first step. What is the reason for it? Usually it's a result of idle time. Idleness. That's the devil's playground. And then what, what is the evidence of it? Well, if we're not where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to be doing. Like that never lies. That score never lies. What's the answer? It's just doing what we once did when we were closest to God. Stand to your feet, every head bow.